Ugh, I didn't anticipate that. Fuck. <laughs> Unscripted. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Kickstart, man. Is it? Wait, wait. Is it? Oh, it's the last one for yeah, August. Man. It's the 31st. August 31. Today. 31. Wow. It's September tomorrow, man. September. Yeah. You know what's happening later today? No. I'm getting, I'm getting a fucking nose swab. <laughs> oh, it's right. You're getting ah. tested. Yeah. Oof. How's that for some reanimator for you? <laughs> yeah, <up. laughs> I can't wait. I feel like I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, Total Recall. <laughs> Except for you don't have a Rob Boutine effects to do it for you, right? <laughs> I wish. I can, can rob a call. Hey, man, can you hook me up and help me out here? Oh, man. Our our, our friend uh, Damian Bray, he, uh, he had it done a couple of months ago, and... Uh, yeah, he posted on Instagram. I was like, "Oh, it's the first time I'd seen everybody actually do, someone do it." But he didn't do the whole thing. He like just showed them pulling it out. Yeah, I was like, oh, "Can't you take a swab in my mouth?" <laughs> just, well, uh, hopefully, I'm, the first one will be up the nose, and then then I hope to God we're doing the saliva test because I think I have to get tested three times a week really? afterwards. Oh, yeah. Is that part of the new the new world order? That's what it is on this pro on th on this program. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's their protocol. So you know, I get it two days before you know, and then I I wait for my results, and then I travel, and then uh, you know, then I think I have to get it again once I get there, and uh, you know, and then three times a week I think is the is the plan. That sounds I'm lovely. Gonna, whoa, dude, I'm hoping it's like the saliva test because I can't imagine having something jammed in my brain three times a week. I feel that. Uh huh. <laughs> It's a big pass. Thank you very much. It's enough to make me want to retire. <laughs> Speaking of retiring, you came across a list online recently, and it was uh, covering 21 Walter Hill movies. Yeah. Um, it's in reverse order. And initially, you and I were kind of like going, well, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done that. But I think we decided that it was probably a better place to just a jumping off point to discuss though little discussions about the movies that are on the list as opposed to his order. Yeah, totally. It's totally subjective. You know, it's like, you know, you, you like apples. Well, then apples will be higher than oranges. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> all of his points are valid about yeah. all the movies. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, his order is not my order. Right. Or your order. Or mine. I mean, mine's going to differ from yours, too. And uh, sure. it's, but you, when you see it, when you see like the last four or five uh, listed in there, you're kind of like, they seem to be mostly interchangeable. Yeah. No, no different than the typical film school students list of it's always the same four or five movies at the top. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost of like you lose your, you, you lose your filmmaker. Uh, you take your card. Yeah. Uh, it, it's from Collider. And like I mentioned, and, uh, who wrote a silly name article, Drew Taylor. And again, we'll, we'll put a link in the description because it's, 
again, it's a, it's a good read. It's uh, like I said, you don't you don't see the funny thing is each one of his synopses and his breaks down breakdowns of the movies he covers. You you agree with it? It's just that the order is really where it it it, it differs. Right. Anyway, so <laughs> it starts off with um, a movie that has actually seen a lot of play on social media this week because the movie turned twenty this week, or I think it's this week, or just at least this year. And the trailer's making its way around on Thursday, talking about how, man, how 2000 does this trailer look? And uh, yeah, it's a supernova with uh, Angela Bassett, James Spader. And uh, this was kind of a, I don't know, a sort of alien kind of project. Yeah, and I think Giger, right. was, Giger was involved in it at yep. one point. And, um, but it doesn't feel anything like it. And that's probably why it's, it's well, so low yeah. on the list. You know, I think that movie was sort of just plagued. You know, his article touched on the whole digital domain thing because I think, you know, the company went belly up maybe or or they're just their partnership with digital domain went belly up. And, you know, MGM was, you know, they, they slashed the budget. And, uh, you know, the movie, I, I don't know, man. It's weird. Like, uh, it's it, it seems like an odd choice for Walter Hill to dabble into, even though he wrote Alien. It just isn't very good. <laughs> No, for many reasons, and it does. I mean, it deserves to be, you know, number twenty-one on, on his list and my list. That's <laughs> on mine too. At the bottom. I mean, you know, it's got Robert Forrester, Lou Diamond Phillips shows up. There's there, there's a great cast. It's just uh, there's not much for them to do in the way of, you know, you know, they can't save this movie. It's you know, it's a mess. Right. We're not going to get into the the body of the uh, article. And uh, his explanation, Drew's explanations of things, um, because it's 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 well written and and it deserves a read. Yeah, read and, it, and we're totally. just breezing over this, and uh, we won't get a, like I said, no, no no details. Just check it out. <laughs> so next up, this is the one we immediately went. What? Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, this, this I disagree with you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Positionally speaking, to disagree with you. Yes. Um, it's, and again, still very complimentary of the movies. There's nothing. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's, what he's, the things he's saying are valid, right. but. And he hits on a lot of the same points that we did when we covered the movie. Sure. Uh, number 20 is 1989's Johnny Handsome. Yep. And boy, they picked a, a great photo. <laughs> man, that is a, but again, I look at that and I, I don't think the makeup's terrible, man. I mean, no. it's, 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 you know, it holds up. That's a, you know, and you're looking dead on it. Um. But yeah, Johnny Handsome being at number twenty for me is it's a little it, that's low for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's it you know it belongs in the in my in my my list. It's top ten. I don't know exactly where, uh, but you know, it's somewhere between ten and one. Yeah. The next one up was one that really surprised me when I saw one to go see the movie in the theater. I was already into the movie because it's John Candy and Richard Pryor. And uh, I had no idea it was Walter until his name showed up on the screen. And uh, it's 1985's Brewster's remake of Brewster's Millions. Right. If you haven't seen this movie, you're missing out because, you know, Richard Pryor didn't do a lot of accessible movies like this. He usually did rated R fair, you know, very, you know, adult comedy type stuff. So this was a, a change up for him and pairing him with the always, Always reliable, John always Candy. reliable, and John Candy. He's just, and and they're so good together in it. And you think what an odd couple, which, yeah, as far as the pairing goes, but their chemistry is so good, yeah. so Dude, good. It, it always, it, it, it always left me wanting them to be in another movie together. 
Right. You know, a lot, you know, I could have, I could have foregone the last two films with uh, Gene Wilder for one more, you know, buddy movie with uh, John Candy and Richard Pryor. Yeah. I would have done that too. Yeah. But you know, John Candy did this a couple of times too. He did this and then he did played the brother to Tom Hanks and splash. Yep. And, but he played almost the same role. Yeah, right around the same time yep. too. Like yeah, yeah. Splash was the year before this, right? Um, you know, and this was kind of like when candy was a hot commodity. You know, yeah. He, you know, uh, it's not. It's nothing like any other Walter Hill movie, and just for that reason, you should see it. Uh, and Shout Factory did a nice. Uh, they did a really great uh, Blu-ray release earlier this year, so um, you know it's out there. You can see it in in all of its glory, and I'm, there's a lot of good extras on the D, on the Blu-ray. Does it belong? You know, I I don't know. For me. I don't have that much problem with it being so low on the list. Right. But again, you know, it's still Walter Hill and it's, it's a, it's a great movie, you know, for what it is. Right. And it's a true comedy. Uh, unlike the other yeah, movies. It's that straight up comedy. It's yeah. not an action comedy. It's not a, you know, it's not a, it's a buddy comedy, but it's more of a straightforward sort of Richard Pryor vehicle. Um, and John Candy is kind of the, you know, sidekick. I've been thinking about Brewster's Millions a lot, this version of it, because of what happens when Brewster has to spend the money, like get rid of the money with no, with no assets left over. You can't, yeah. And when he runs for mayor. Oh, yeah. And, and he runs for mayor and just goes, no, you can't, because you're going to get a salary, man, so you can't win, you can't take office. And he's like, well, shit. So he runs as none of the above. And uh, I thought it was pretty poignant considering the presidential race right now. So <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it, it's 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 also it's a, it's just a kind of fun, breezy, like goofy, light '80s movie. Yeah, um, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit smarter than it than it, you think it is too. And then and it's something I saw when I was an adult. I'm like, whoa, man! I get I get some of the underlying things they were pointing out that you know, as a 16 year old, I didn't really see and I wasn't expected to see. I guess. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, there were there were things I didn't under you know that were over my head back then, you know, right. Which seeing it, I because I just watched it uh, when I picked up the Blu-ray, you know, it's 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 one of the better. A lot of Richard Pryor movies don't hold up at all. This one's pretty good. You can still watch it. You know, it, it's it's not like the humor is not as dated as things like Some Kind of Hero or um, Bustin' Loose. To me, this is one of the better '80s Pryor movies. Right. Yeah. So there you go. But yeah, 19 seems like an okay place for it. Maybe I, I think, you know, but somewhere between 15 and no higher than 15, but I wouldn't go any lower than it is now. No. Cause you have to think that you're sandwiching, sandwiching between Johnny handsome and the next one, which is <laughs> 2000, 2012's bullet to the head. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Now this can be this. There shouldn't be a twenty-one. There should be a tie at twenty between this and Supernova. <laughs> That's fair. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know, man. This, this to me, and you know, read the article and you'll 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 know how Walter became involved in this. This movie, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't love this movie. Uh, it's better than other things, but as far as like Walter's movies, it, you know, for me, I, I saw it once and I, you know, probably, I don't ever need to see it again. It's a quick breezy uh, coverage. I think, like you said, almost word for word, what I would say about the movie. <laughs> and it gives you a little bit of insight too, like you said, how we got involved and, and uh, how involved he actually was in it. Yeah. And number 17, we have a, the one of the only movies on this list that I have not seen. I have not seen this movie. 
I saw it uh, when it was when it dropped on Prime, and I, it's funny because seventeen seems like a pretty decent place for it. But reading a little bit that accompanies it, you know, I kind of might want to watch it again because I think I kind of watched it, you know, and I kind of only half paid attention to it because I was like, eh. And I was watching it late at night. I'm gonna give it another view. I gotta say, even my vague memory of watching it and. It was better than Bullets of the Head. So I have no problem with it being higher than Bullets of the Head um, because it does have some fun moments and some weird performances. It's a, it's an odd movie uh, for Walter. It's quirky as shit. Um, and I feel like it's something that I should give another look at. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. I'm like, I've never heard the description of it that even points out a couple of things that the, the, the little synopsis notes. And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. I think maybe Michelle Rodriguez isn't really high on my list of Oh, she's in that. I'm going to watch that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. I don't see a movie because her name's attached to it. It's not, it's not fair. But I don't, I don't not see a movie because her name's, but it's just like, she's not like somebody right. who draws me to see a movie. And it's called The Assignment. The name doesn't kind of, you mean, kind of goes, ah, it just sounds sure. like, an, it just sounds like the typical uh, thriller action movie title. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't carry a lot of weight until you, see the movies now i haven't seen this one but right. like the specialist you know has its merits like we talked about a lot yeah. sure yeah 17 17 seems like a fair place for it six you know 16 17 yeah what's actually on 16 is one that we both yeah hemmed and hawed over covering during our walter yeah, series we did. and it, i would put this higher <laughs> yeah definitely higher than 16 and sure. that's 1996's last man standing yeah what, right this what, is another good bruce willis movie yeah at a time when he wasn't, he was doing that weird thing where we talked about during striking distance where he was picking movies that were still, were considered studio fare, but weren't necessarily commercially um, promotable, if you will. This is one of them. And it's more or less a, a remake of Kurosawa's Ujimbo. Yep. But built around a, a gangster, a you know, period gangster piece. It's really, this movie was a movie where I Oh my gosh, this is the guy that did 40 hours. That's how I got dragged into it. Cause I was yeah. with, with Walter. I, I kind of was, I hadn't really developed flavor for him the way I did. I was aware of him. Like when Brewster's Millions came out, I knew he was the guy that did 48 hours with this one. I was kind of like, Oh, Bruce is actually working with a real director. That's all I can think of when it happened. Right. And uh, yeah, dude, this is really good. And of course you get that killer Rykooter score in it. Oof. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I like this movie quite a bit. To me, this is like a top 10, top tenner. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, this is a little low on this, this list. It's a little low for me. All his points are valid and I don't want to spoil some of the things he says in it. Cause I totally agree with the last line of his blurb moving on. Yes. 100%. <laughs> Number 15 is 2002's undisputed with Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes. Yes. Which I like. And this dude, this one is so good. Yeah. Love this movie. And it was a, you know, for a lot of people, it was a, it wasn't an, a, a, maybe a reintroduction to, to Wesley um, after him having a couple of uh, fairs of, uh, at the box office that didn't really do him a whole lot of service. And, but this one was, this one's good. This one's good. And it's, and it falls in with a, a, a subgenre of, uh, of, Prison. prison movies that have boxing in it. <laughs> Absolutely. This is kind of a, you know, it, it, it touches on some, uh, I always kind of thought like, this is a great movie to pair up with uh, Hard Times, which we're going to get to 
down the road here. Right. But, um, you know, as far as Walter's career, but man, I really like this movie. It's fun. It's very like, uh, it's got its own vibe. There's great, you know, it's Peter Fox in it, Snipes and Ving Rhames, man. And dude, our old buddy Fisher Stevens. Yeah. Wes Studi. It's, this is a tough, mean little movie, uh, that's pulpy as shit. Yeah. And to me, it belongs no lower than 12. Yeah. Also, Adam Michael Rooker is in it too, playing one of the guards. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, and he oversees all the fights and everything. He's basically the the boxing commissioner inside the prison. The, yeah, this is this is a good one, and and one I haven't visited in a long time. And when I looked at the list, I'm like, I need to watch that again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Next up is one you all heard us talk about recently, and that is at number fourteen. We have Red Heat from 1988. Too low for me. <laughs> <laughs> All that needs to be said about it was said in our episode, other than the chemistry between the two of them is is gold, man. Yeah, man, totally. Bus on bus action. <laughs> yeah, man, there's a lot, of, there's some great stuff in this, you know, like we talked about, and there's the great opening scene in that crazy weird Russian gym, yeah. which we found out a little bit more about, yes. um, as you will. And, and you will in time. In weeks to come. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, to me, this is definitely top 10 material. Yes. Again, I'm not making my own list, but I'm telling you, it's this this is in the top ten. Fourteen's it wasn't in my top ten until we saw it again, until we covered it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Slide that sucker into the top ten. Easily. Yep. So you heard us talk about that for like almost two hours. <laughs> yeah. So we don't need to go into any details. No. You know, you can read you can read the article. In the midst of that episode, we also talked quite a bit about number thirteen on this list. We did. As if it was a better version of what's number 13, which kind of made me laugh that this followed up Red Heat. And that's another 48 hours. Which I would say 13 is about, you know, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. I'm okay with the, you know, wherever you could, you can plug, you know, you could plug and play this in any of those slots. 13 is not a terrible spot for it. No. Um, having just watched it last night. I remember always not having as much love, but I got to say it's 48 hours on steroids. One of the things the the synopsis um, goes with it says is that Walter's original cut. This movie was two hours and 25 minutes. Yeah, man. Give me that movie. Yeah. Hell, even the trimmed down version was 120. And that was the one that Walter was cool with. And then the studio yep. knocked it down to 95 just weeks before the movie opened and he wasn't even aware of it. Yeah, that's, that's some nonsense. And I go, but man, can you imagine how much, if we got more, more stunts, <laughs> I want to know what happens for those other 40 minutes, right? Yeah. 50 minutes. They definitely cut out. I, I, I'm going to bet that they cut out things like the Bernie Casey storyline, you know, things like, you know, where, you know, when they went to visit him in prison, right. uh, I'm, I was trying to, I was looking at it last night after reading the article and I watched it. I was trying to figure out, God, what did they cut out of this? There are a lot of holes, man, you know, especially when it comes to the Iceman and uh, that whole storyline. I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it. It's still a fun movie. I mean, especially if you just want to see a big, I mean, man, the stunts are big and badass in it, you know. So I'm okay with somewhere around 13, 14 for this. Yeah, and then. Walters. Right. And you get, again, the synopsis for that gives a little bit of a breakdown of what happened with. Yeah. You know, it mentions the same kind of gaps you're talking about, as well as the stuff that was cut and how it affected the movie. You, you have to assume it affected the movie overall because there are holes. And uh, right, but yeah, when you see that breakdown, and realize that the 
the the first cut was 50, five zero, 50 minutes longer than the final theatrical release, yep. which is, which was another. Well, it's like we talked about Event Horizon. I mean, Jesus, right? dude, you just cut like an hour out of a movie. Right. And as we mentioned, we recent it. kickstart um, it got delayed a little bit, but, but Shout is doing a special edition that they got pushed to the beginning of the year, obviously yeah. probably due to COVID um, limitations on being able to interview people. It's probably what's related to because you know who wants a blurry flow of Zoom Zoom interviews, right? Not me. <laughs> um, number twelve is one that we discussed quite a bit yesterday. Oh yeah, with a with an episode we'll have in the very near future. Totally. And uh, this one is so good. And this one was this one was on our our short list for original movies that we're going to cover. And I think we both felt it was maybe too. Yep. Too well known, maybe I think because we were trying to put a spotlight on the movies that yeah. some didn't weren't aware of. But I still think a lot of people aren't aware of this one either. No, no, totally. I think we talked about like you know maybe we have to do a uh, if we we have we have to do a, like a volume two of Walter Hill because yeah. there's so many and we're gonna now we're getting into the now we're getting into the meat of this where right. it gets hard like the top yeah. ten we've moved <laughs> things in, I've moved a few things into the top ten already. So I mean trespass I don't know where I don't know when maybe I bump it up. 10, 11 or 12, 11 or 10 but you know 12 is no 12 is not a terrible place for it because it's starting to get crowded this one is a uh, it's from the t- is written by the two bobs this is bob zemeckis and bob bob gale yeah. from back to the future right and they were and this script had been popping around for a long time back back when they were still in school i think and it what's funny is knowing when they had originally written this in the 70s it feels like a 70s movie it feels like something that would have been come out right around the time the driver did that, that window of time. I mean, visually it looks different because it looks more like a 1982 movie than it does a 78 movie. Just by the way, things were being shot between the two decades, the storyline and the performances are so it's very grindhouse to me. And it's very, it's something you would have seen as the, 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 the second movie of a double, double feature. But that's not a, that's not a knock on it at all. It's just a raw movie. You know, this is a good movie. I mean, if you want to pair a couple Walter movies, I mean, this is something I would pair with the Warriors. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's yeah. perfect. Right. Um, I don't want to say anything more about it because this is one nope. that may or may not get covered in that uh, volume two. Yeah, I think <laughs> we might talk about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to pick it up and check it out for yourselves, Shout Factory. Shout Select already. They did a great cut. They did a great uh, package for that for this film. The movie is is really good. It's a lot of fun. That's what I, it's and it's more or less a, a haunted house movie in that it's all one location. Which again, it, you would you would think a movie like this where is it going to really be able to build on tension and suspense? It does. Yeah, it does. It's it's really a wonderful movie and good performances. Yes, all around too. And it's not just the. There's some surprising performances in there as well. And it's filled with a lot of people you recognize. The unsung hero of the movie is Art Evans. <laughs> yes. Dude, I'm telling you, man, this is a fun one. And uh, it's it's like a it's a heist movie, but it's not really a heist movie at the same time. It's kind of weird. So it leads us to, <laughs> again, a most recently covered uh, movie uh, from us. And that's uh, at number 11, uh, 1986's Crossroads. Again, not going to get into it too much because we, lamented about it quite a bit oh yeah during our crossroads episode and it's really really uh it's it's a solid movie and you know how we feel about it <laughs> if you don't know how we feel about it go back and listen to it yeah. um leads us into our top 10 and now it's like you said before this is where things are getting wonky a couple of spots yeah. back and this is you know, 
yeah, this is where we things are kind of interchangeable for the most part. Number 10, we have 1975's Hard Times with Charles Bronson and James, and James Coburn. Coburn. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, this movie kicks ass. Yes. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, for me, it goes up a little higher, you know, up toward the top five. And like I said, it's crowded up here. So, you know, 10's not terrible. And, yeah. you know, the list is subjective. So I like this movie a lot. And... Um, you know, I could ram, I could, I could ramble on about it. Um, and we probably will, if we do it, if we do round two, this might be another movie that definitely we cover. Yep. Gritty as fuck. (laughs) That's the other way of putting it. (laughs) Number nine. Here's one that I wouldn't have thought about the first time around, but I think we might think about the second time around. And that is Geronimo, an American legend from 1993. Yeah, this movie's something else, and um, I don't think it's gonna make volume two, but it's it's on it's on the short list for volume two, I think. But it's gosh, this movie is there's no way of putting it. Just find it and watch it. Robert yeah, Duvall, I mean, Gene Hackman, Jason Patrick. Studi as as Geronimo is fucking amazing. Yeah, Jason Patrick, uh, very young Matt Damon. Uh, screenplay was uh, John Milius. Right. Uh, you know, so, you know, all I can say is see it. Yeah. And it's big too. If you, if you know that John Milius. Yeah. His, it was his draft. I think Walter did a rewrite on. Read, yeah. And, uh, but still, how's that for a pairing, man? Right. Walter rewriting Milius. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. I would say, uh, and make sure you, you have to, you have to get the Blu-ray. I think it's Kino. But it's the only way to see it in scope because uh, the uh, the DVD release, and I, I want to say that uh, the streaming release isn't in proper aspect ratio. And this is a movie mm. you certainly want to see in the correct aspect ratio. Yeah, it As really is beautifully shot. And yeah, you don't want to miss out on that. It's good stuff. Speaking of Blu-rays and, and movies that are difficult. Good God damn it. <laughs> this movie is was not covered last time because of the accessibility was far too limited for us to throw it out into the world and say, Hey, everybody watch this movie that you can't watch anywhere. And, the, and if you can watch it, you're going to be like, it looks like a, it looks like an episode of Hunter the way that it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's terrible. And it's, and it's so it's unjust it really is. It's 1987's Extreme Prejudice with Nick Nolte. Powers Booth is his buddy, his childhood friend, all grown ups and other. Michael Ironside, Clancy Brown, yeah, Maria Conchita Alonso. And this one was a, was originally developed by John Milius too, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. And I think Jonathan Demi was supposed to direct it at one point. Yeah, I think so. And it'll, hashtag cast Bill Forsyth. Uh, yeah, man, th- for me, this is top five. Oh yeah. Easily, easily. Uh, you know, eight's eight. I could see, you know, it's fine where he's got it. But for me, it goes top five. Number seven is 1980s. The long riders. remember when this movie came out being, um, remember the, the, the one sheet coming out and it was like, wait, it's all brothers. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, me too. And, and like you, you recognize the keychas, right. And you recognize the bridges and the quades are kind of coming up. But the weird one was Christopher and Nicholas Guest. I thought that was such a, I don't know, who else were you going to hire at that point, right? I guess. But this movie is, get it in, watch it in scope. Otherwise, you're going to be super disappointed. The proper aspect ratio anyway, I don't think it's scope, is it? I don't think it is. Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think that it is either. But I mean, there's a, there's a fantastic, yeah, pick up the Blu-ray. Yeah. Nothing else to say about it. Just, it's a, 
it's a Western in the truest sense. And again, we talked briefly about that yesterday on an upcoming episode about the way it was treated and how much it feels like things in the old West, as opposed to a heightened movie version of the old West. And uh, you'll hear about that soon enough, but long riders, man, solid, in my opinion, all time, probably top 10 Western is my, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. Are you cool with it at number seven in on this list? Or yeah. Yeah. Cause it's you know, we're kind of like sliding things around a little bit, Yeah, it's but it tough. has to be super influential on, on my vocabulary for me to go. Oh, that's not in the right spot. Like, like extreme yeah. prejudice. It's, it's a, it's a few right. slots too low, but the, yep. with the long riders, yeah, it's, it's in the top 10 and that's fine. That, that makes a hundred percent sense to me. Me too. Number six, again, top 10. So it, it works for me. And that is 1978's The Driver with Ryan O'Neill and Bruce Dern. Again, we just covered it recently and ad nauseum. Not a surprise that it's where it's at because, and I'm actually surprised that it's where it's at. I thought, I feel like a lot of people maybe overlooked this one from the standpoint of it being uh, in the body of his work anyway. Usually I don't see it this high on somebody's list. There are other movies that would stick before, you know, in the top six, in my opinion. So many movies have taken from this movie, like we talked about in our own episode for The Driver. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing more that we can say about it. Yep. Ryan touches on, or sorry, Drew's, uh, the same, yeah, same points does. that we made. And I sure. uh, was like going, yes, 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 yes. So, perfect. Now, this one I have not seen probably since it first came out. Oh, I'm cool with, I, I love this movie. If you can ask me for a top 10 list, this would be in the top 10. Just based on my memory. It it would be a little further back for me. I mean, it's top 10. Right. But my top five is very packed with, uh, but I mean, you know, this could be six or seven, you know, this, the driver, long riders, they're all right there, man. Right. I'm okay with, you know, I'm okay with the ballpark. Yeah. Bridges is fucking outstanding. Yeah. We have wild bill at number five. Now when you get to the five, it's usually, it's like that. When you look at a big list, you're like, you hit the number 10. You're like, Oh, it's funny how, 10 and five and one hit harder than two, three, five or six or seven, you know, or six, seven or eight, you know, it's, it's, it's those milestone points on a list where you like, okay. So, but while, while Bill, I have not seen since again, probably theatrical for me, it's been that long, but you got Jeff Bridges, like you mentioned, John Hurt, uh, very young David Arquette before the rest of the world discovered who he was really with the screen the next year. Diane Lane. Diane Lane. Ellen Barkin. And then Ellen Barkin. Now this, I want to talk about Ellen Barkin for a moment in this movie because one thing I was remembered about her in this was how great she was in it. But comparatively speaking to Johnny Handsome, what she was great in, but you can see the range and that she was, she was intentionally raising, you know, her performance in Johnny Handsome because in this, She's so controlled and so just fantastic in it. And everybody is in the movie. It's quite good. And this is something that, that he did following up Geronimo because Geronimo didn't do particularly well. Right. He made these two Westerns back to back. Yeah. That's, that's ballsy, dude. <laughs> Especially in the mid nineties, man. But he rebounded because I really love this movie a lot. And, and now that I'm looking at this list again, I think I want to go back and rewatch it as along with the two or three other movies <laughs> we've already yeah, talked no, about. Totally, man. Like I like I told you last night, I watched another 48 Hours, which I probably hadn't seen. I'm going to say in 25 years, right? If not more. But at this point, you're kind of like, well, what else have you not covered yet? Well, <laughs> we're getting there. Here's where we get into the uh, the usual suspects. Right. Number four is the original 48 Hours with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy, James Remar, 
it's funny because when I see him, other, when I see Rebar and other things, I never think about him as a badass. But he runs around in this movie with Nick Nolte's massive gun in his hand. <laughs> it's just. Right. But he's a badass. He sells it, man. He sells it. Yeah. Fucking Gans, dude. He, when he plays a, 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 a bad guy in other movies or, every, or other projects, he's not nearly as menacing as he is in this movie. And, and I don't know if that's just a piss and vinegar youth performance of his, but it just, it works. For me, it's like Ajax from the Warriors after he got arrested on that park bench. Yeah. He fucking went away to prison and he came back as Gans. Right. <laughs> totally. Totally. Right. I mean. And that's what works about this movie though too is, is the chemistry between, between Eddie and, and Nick. And this is them just, this is Eddie breaking out, man. This is him breaking out and not being the trading places SNL type of humor. He plays it. Yeah. He's funny in it. But man, he plays it straight and he's, I really wish he would have done more of this kind of thing. I really wish he would have stopped leaning oh, so yeah. much on comedy, I think. Because, I mean, by the time he got doing, doing something really serious, nobody could take him seriously anymore. To me, this movie is, this and, and Trading Places are the two, like, best performances of Eddie Murphy. And, right. And for, and for obvious reasons. And they're, they're totally different roles. I mean, I was like, holy shit, this guy's going to be bad. And then he just kind of fell into, I mean, I, I like Beverly Hills Cop and stuff. After that, he just kind of fell into the, his Saturday Night Live persona. Like, exp yeah, I don't know, man. But this movie, he's, he, he's never been this real in a movie before. No. Since, I'm, rather. Uh, this movie for me is number two. It, it's, 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 I'd leapfrog it up too. It has, it's, it's very cringy in, in moments <laughs> if you watch it these days, because even if initially the, the, the relationship between the two of them is far more mean spirited, far more, you know, antagonistic than, than it does after they go along. So it is a buddy cop movie with a defining buddy cop movie, genre defining, excuse me. It does bring, a lot of uh, cringing because Nick Nolte is, you know, his character is very, he's, he's a piece of shit. He's not a good dude. He's a racist through and through. He's a womanizer. He's an alcoholic. I mean, there's, there's nothing remotely redeeming about him in the movie. You don't really root for him <laughs> as much as you probably should. And I think obviously he's very intentional. He's kind of a scoundrel, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, you don't. You're watching a, 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 a scumbag cop chasing uh, a scumbag criminal. I mean, that's pretty much it. And it takes a scumbag to, to track one, apparently. <laughs> I don't look at it quite as rough as you do. I mean, to me, it's of the time. Is it correct or is it cool? Probably not. I don't think that I don't like Nolte's character because I, I don't find him to be too, a scumbag. It's just, it's more about what they were you know, they thought they could get away with them. That shit just doesn't wash now. Because even in the sequel, they've toned all that stuff down, you know, right. and tried to make him a better person. But I don't know that he's, I don't think he's as bad as the guys he's chasing. I think it's just, that was what people thought was funny then. <laughs> and it's absolutely not. Right. I, <laughs> so, I, let me, I, I'm going to only backpedal to a certain point of maybe explain myself a little more. And that I, I think he's a degenerate. And I, you know, I don't know. I still stand by the fact he's an alcoholic. And he's no, absolutely. He's a racist and a womanizer, and sure, all those things. For him to be a scumbag cop, as opposed, to, that's why I specified scumbag cop and scumbag criminal. I didn't was I didn't want to generalize him saying he's just a scumbag. He still has a certain amount of 
of law behind him, even though he does very unlawful things in the movie. <laughs> and, uh, well, right. He, he, he thinks he's doing the right thing, right. but he's, but he's ultimately he's not. And I think that the, what they were trying, you know, again, it, it certainly doesn't play well now. I can't really, I don't really watch this movie. I, the last time I tried to watch it, I was just a little bit like, but I mean, just taken from the time when I saw it, I, I still, it's for me, it's, it's in the top, three of Hill's movies, right. you know, for what it is and of the type and all that other stuff aside, it's, you know, it's a fucking damn efficient, gritty, hard ass movie. Right. When you look at Nick Nolte's character in there, he is, like you said, he thinks he's doing the right thing. No different than, than Clint's character in the rookie. He does, does whatever he has to because right. he's got a, He's got a cop boner for this guy and he's going to yeah. go after him. Yeah. It doesn't, is what, by, what, by whatever means necessary. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that, that's like the eighties, right? Like, I feel like that's 100%. Like a theme through the, of movies throughout the eighties. Yeah. So now we're sliding into the top three. This one, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be upfront about it right now. This is in the, this is in volume two of our Walter Hill series. Yeah, for sure. And I'm per- it's it's in the perfect position. Yeah, and this one was, again, on the very short list, first passing of of his flicks that we just like. Oh man, as, as I think what came down to it was the accessibility of it, and it's going to be easier for people to see, and that's why we think we pushed it aside because again, it's like really good pizza to choose from when you're when you're picking movies <laughs> to talk about. Anyway, number th- number three, we have 1981's Southern Comfort. Now, I, at the time when the movie came out, I knew Southern Comfort from <laughs> because it was a bottle of booze that sat on. Dad's, you sold your dad's whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> it's the first booze I ever got sick on. I puked on a new in New Year's Eve. I spent the entire night hugging a toilet because of Southern Comfort. Yeah, it's uh, the I, if if you've seen the movie Dog Soldiers, this movie, um, this, that movie Dog Soldiers takes heavily from Southern Comfort. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. Cause I really feel like it's one of those movies. Just don't just watch it, you know? Yeah. Don't ruin it. But I'll just say this powers booth, Keith Carradine, Lewis Smith, and then Fred Ward. Right. Peter Coyote, Peter Coyote, uh, T- right. TK Carter. Right. TK and TK was starting to break out at that point too. And there's another right. uh, comedic actor breaking into a serious role in a, in a Walter Hill movie. I thought that was kind of cool. Years, yeah. a year before Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Point that out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I, in a year before he did the thing. I mean, I feel he probably did those two movies. They probably shot him right around the same time. Yeah. You know, because yeah. he probably went either from, I but I guess he probably went from this right into making the thing, you know, right from this to being Nalls rolling around on roller skates. Yeah. All right. Now. <laughs> Here's where, here's and then here's where, your flip flop right after. Yes, it's my flip flop. This is where I flip flop. And the Number audience two. knows it's your flip flop. Yeah, of course. I don't even need to say it. I'll just you talk. I'll be silent. Everybody knows how I feel about the, these this this. And I'm not going to say any more about it because I'm hardly uh, hardly the the uh, between the two of us. I'm hardly the guy to really expand on this. So I'll keep it super short. Number two is 1984's Street of Fire. With our man Michael Pere, William Defoe, Diane Lane. Uh, gosh, I think Rick Moranis is in this, isn't it? Like a little yeah, bit. Rick Rick Moranis, uh, Amy Madigan, Bill Paxton, um, Lee Ving, Richard yeah. Lawson, Je- 
Robert Townsend, Stoney Jackson, all faces that you see in other Walter Hill movies uh, in the years to come after this. But I mean, it's like everybody is in Streets of Fire. Right. This is a Joel Silver, Larry Gordon, Ray Cooter, Walter Hill extravaganza, man. This is, (laughs) this is something else. And uh, we, you've waxed poetic about this movie and you always will. (laughs) Yes. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. At this point. <laughs> right. If you don't own it, just there's there's only one thing to do, and that's buy that shot release because Oh yeah, man. It's gold. Now here's he, again, we got to this number one and we both kind of went, Yeah, well duh, because it hasn't been right. mentioned yet. It's not my number one. No, it's uh, look to me it it's it's top okay. I have no problem with it being in the top three. Right. Because it's you know, it's the movie that but it's not number one for me, obviously. It's number it's number two or number three. <laughs> right. <laughs> or whatever you're in the mood for that day. Right. It's it's a thing that it's a sliding scale. I mean, right. for me, the constant is number one, it'll always be Streets of Fire. Right. You know, street uh, and now thinking about it, 48 hours is probably where four is probably a good spot for it. And you know, Warriors, Southern Comfort. I'm okay with, you know, you make I could make the Warriors number three and Southern Comfort number two. Right. This is a movie, The Warriors. I mean, dude, everybody has seen The Warriors. Yeah. Now, there's one point the guy makes in this. And uh, in 2007, there was an ultimate director's cut that was released. It was supposed to be considered, you know, the version of the movie. That was That's the one. It was on Blu-ray and was released on digital. I haven't seen it, but he's emphatic about don't watch this version. It's, I have both versions, yeah. and I, would, I, I agree. I, I'm yeah. not... Uh, the ultimate director's cut doesn't do it for me. Yeah. The guy references the point that, that Walter put in again, he's just, he's saying Walter did put in a bunch of comic book panels and, and, and other effects. And he even goes down to say that they look so cheap. They look like they were done in iMovie on, <laughs> on a Mac. It's, it's not, that's not a selling point, but I'll tell you that much. Well, it's funny because when you watch that version, there's a, there's a forward from, you know, Walter and Walter, basically Walter says, I don't really believe in doing these director's cuts and da, 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 but you know, it, but I mean, so he was, he was definitely in on it and willing, it, it wasn't like somebody did it and he just put his name on it. He was involved. Um, and he explains to you why he did it. But I mean, for me, I just, I, I don't need any of it. And it's kind of distracting when the, when the comic book panels, right. <laughs> when, when, when the scene freezes and it turns into a comic book page, it, you know, it's very creep show. Yeah, I don't know if that's a. <laughs> it's great creep show, but not for this no. for me. You know, I, I get that. I mean, it, it seems a little schlocky, but anyway. Well, so there, there's a you know, there's a list, and we mentioned yeah. four movies that are oh, at least well, at least two or three movies that we're probably going to cover. Yeah, and probably and at least two or three that we're going to go back and review. Right, just for just because, just because. Well, and because, you know, we want to give you something else to watch too. Um, what do you have a watcher just in jest over the next week? What do you have? Uh, just what's a, what's a little quick shot you have? Oh, okay. So look, uh, you know, we're, we're rounding, we're, we're basically in September. Um, so September 29th, there's a couple things that are coming out, which one of them super hard to find. I haven't seen it on any, I hadn't seen it. And I sort of, I, Double take. That was like, no way. Vinegar Syndrome, who, thank God for Vinegar Syndrome, because they bring things like this to Blu-ray. Uh, but 1988's Spellcaster. Ooh. Yeah, man. 
Uh, I'll just give you a brief overview. A group of people are killed one by one while participating in a million dollar treasure hunt in a mysterious Italian castle. Okay, I'm in. I was in in 1988 and I haven't seen it since then. And I'm in again. Here's another reason to be in. Starring Adam Ant of Adam and the Ants and Richard Blade. <laughs> Ricardo. Yeah, man. So it's a movie that you you probably have never heard of. You probably have never seen. I don't know that it's ever been released on any other format <laughs> other than VHS, but yeah, man, Vinegar Syndrome is doing a limited edition of 4,000 and that will drop on the 29th of September. So check it out. Spellcaster. And then my other pick for the September the 29th is something a little, it's a little more well-known, uh, but it's, it's a movie that I feel like doesn't get as much love and it's Michael Caton Jones's Memphis Bell. Oh, yeah. Which I remember seeing Memphis Bell in a theater. I was 20, because I, I think it came out in 19, did it come out in 1990? Is that right? And I'm just trying to find, because I fucking hit the wrong page. <laughs> I always think it's 89, but I think it's probably 90. And I would say it's probably, it's it's our friends at Warner Archive. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're dropping this on us because they love us. And it's a movie that... Uh, I, I didn't realize it wasn't on Blu-ray. I tried to watch this a while back. I think I tried to stream it and the aspect ratio wasn't correct. Mm. And it, you know, so I turned it off because if you've seen it, like you and I have, you, this is a movie you really need to see in, in the correct aspect ratio. Yeah. Otherwise you're, you know, you're left wanting. It's very, uh, you know, it's, it's very old fashioned. It's very, you, you, you know, you know the outcome before you get there. But it's, it's about the journey and it's about the guys. And, you know, it's one of those movies where you, you just pack a bunch of young and up and coming likable faces into a cramped small place. And, and then you hope for the best. I mean, this is it's Matthew Modine, Eric Stoltz, Tate Donovan, D.B. Sweeney, Billy Zane, Sean Astin. I mean, it's a movie I thoroughly enjoy. It's a, it's a fun movie to watch. You're going to be able to see it in all of its glory on the 29th of September from our good pals, Warner Archive. Ooh, Warner Archive. That's what I got. Yeah. Awesome. You guys know, if you listen to the show at all, how much, how influential Prince is, it was on me in my youth and still continues to be today with the music that I, that I do on the side that no one's actually really heard, but that doesn't matter. Well, we, and I recently mentioned on Kickstarter that a special super deluxe version of Sign of the Times was coming, which follows suit of the Purple Rain in 1999 releases. I don't know how I overlooked this, but the the Prince Estate actually has an official podcast. What? Yeah. And they've already did a four-part series on 1999 and then the up, uh, the up All Night Piano release, two or three episodes of that. But the first episode of an eight-part series of Sign of the Times was just released a few days ago. And it is stellar. It is so... So good. And, you know, we're not big believers of, well, not believers, but we're not, we're not big on like plugging other podcasts on our podcast. I'm not, no, no agenda well, there. It's just, if it comes up, it comes up and this is fucking amazing. And we're just a couple weeks away from this box set coming out. I can't wait for this. The, and, and this podcast just whets your appetite even more. There's no way of putting it. It's a collage of interviews, beautifully structured talking about the progression of the album and and they, they speak with a bunch of people on it um not just not just the people that played with prince at that time because a lot of things happened between parade 
you know, the album for Under the Cherry Moon. And this, this release, a lot happened. He disbanded the revolution in between, even though a, a lot of the, a lot of the musicians like Wendy and Lisa um, and Brown Mark and Dr. Fink, they all have roles in this album um, at some point or another. And even though maybe the original release didn't have them on it so much and Prince played all the instruments, the new release that has all the extras and the demos and different versions of things. There's, I mean, there's some tracks on that album that are coming out and they discuss it a little bit in this first episode where it's just like Winnie Melvoin playing piano and singing a Prince song. Right. I mean, that's, that's rare because wow. usually you hear an unreleased Prince song. It's not, it's him singing. Like he did, he put that, uh, that album out recently where. Oh, it, right. Where like he did Nasty Girl. And, right. Yeah. Anyway, the, the nice taut short episodes that range between 25 and 35 minutes. And even if you're just a passing Prince fan, you're going to listen to this and you're going to immediately want to order <laughs> the special edition. Cause it's like, oof. And it's well-produced and it's done by, um, blanking on the person's name right now, but it's well, again, like I said, it's well-produced. It's, it's the Prince estate is fully behind it. Cause it's the ones that are put it together. Um, which you hear, it's beautifully produced. It sounds like, I don't want to say it sounds like NPR, but it's that quality. It's really well produced. It just kicks ass. And, and, and unlikely sources are involved in it too. I mean, Maya Rudolph is involved <laughs> in the uh, podcast. Hold on. Yeah, well, Maya Rudolph's a giant Prince fan. Massive, massive right. Prince fan. She's in a Prince cover group, correct? I didn't know that. I no idea. I think I, I I believe that she is. I forget what they're called, but I, I remember after Prince passed away, her and Billy. I want to. God, not, I'm not. I sound like an idiot because I can't remember. But her and the other person who's in it with her, they did they did a cover of "Sometimes It Snows in April" on Saturday Night Live with D'Angelo. Princess. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Princess. How how hard was that? <laughs> you were so stupid. Yeah. Duh. And they they did quite a bit of stuff together like it looks like 2017 they performed a lot together on his birthday it looks like that's awesome yeah totally so yeah man that's cool i can't wait to I, i'm gonna i'm gonna start peeping that i've got a long drive ahead of me so i may i may listen to a lot of it yeah so the the, the prince cover band for princess it's it's maya rudolph and gretchen leaper room there you go yeah they have a twitter page and i'm going to point everybody to it look at that see how this works <laughs> Non-scripted, man. This is life. Unscripted. <laughs> Unscripted. Um, uh, this is going to seem like a bumpy segue, but um, going, Prince's big major influence was, was James Brown. And five, six years ago, we had a James Brown biopic finally released. And the man that played James Brown, Chadwick Boseman, uh, we lost him yesterday. Yeah, man. This one was, <laughs> don't do it, man. <laughs> Sorry. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's hard watching your son kind of go through the motions of kind of being emotional about Cause he's never, you know, we both have had, you know, uh, artists that kind of influenced our, you know, our opinion about things and, 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 and things that we really were into or, and made us more interested in other things because of they were interested in them. Sure. But Joey, Joey is very much a, uh, a fan. Jesus, what is wrong with me today? 
<laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's it's tough that first one. You know, I remember I got emotional when uh, I got emotional when George Harrison died. Oh yeah, well, don't oh, come on, dude. This is gonna egg me on. <laughs> no, uh, it, again, you you know now what's going on, and we're not gonna get into it too much. I'm gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna give a sixty seconds moment of silence when we're all wrapped, and uh, there'll be a little montage of uh, of things that I put that I'm gonna put together. All of it's been very personal, just watching the kids um, experience it. And for me, I would say, uh, you know, there, there, there are two, um, two little kids, uh, Ian and Taylor, who um, recently passed uh, from cancer. And throughout our filming, I was communicating with them, um, knowing that they were both terminal. And, and what they said to me is, and their parents said, they just, they're trying to hold on till this movie comes. Mm. And I, to a certain degree, you hear them say that and you're like, like, wow, that's like, I gotta get up and, I gotta get up and go to the gym. I gotta get up and go to work. Um, you know, I gotta learn these lines. I gotta work on this accent. Uh, you know, seeing how devoted all of my castmates are, and knowing that 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 will be something meaningful to them. But it's to a certain degree, it's, it's a humbling experience because you're like, this can't mean that much to them, you know. But seeing how the world has taken this on, seeing how the movement is how it's taken on a life of its own. I realized that they anticipated something great. And um, I think back now to a kid and just, you know, uh, waiting for Christmas to come, waiting for my birthday to come, mm. uh, waiting for a toy that was going to, that I was going to get a chance to experience or a video game. I did live life waiting for those moments. And so it put me back in the mind of being a kid just just to experience those two little boys um anticipation of this movie and when i found out that they (sighs) 
Take your time with it. Yeah, it's it's it means a lot. 